Today, I really felt led into doing this uh, just kind of side topic. I'm going for, that's the best sermon on this I've ever heard, because you probably have never heard a sermon on this topic before. And it's something that I just want us to really get into and have a look at, challenge ourselves in. So what, what is it I'm preaching on today? I'm preaching on Halloween. Immediately, people are like, mentalist, okay? That's kind of like, don't go near Halloween, the real Halloween. It's like, actually, James, that was probably a bad idea. It's kind of one of those no-go zones, you know? And so what I want to do today is look back at the origins of Halloween, like how it started, things like that, some of the cultural stuff, but pull away a lot of that cultural fluff and bump and tradition that we've got wrapped around all different aspects of Halloween and try and look at, as a church, how can we engage with Halloween? And so today isn't about me kind of banging the table and telling you don't do stuff, not to do something, you know? Don't do pumpkin carving, you know? I'm, I'm not here to do to say that. I love pumpkins. Um, and also, I'm not here to propose some other kind of alternate cover-up, you know, like a harvest festival or something like that, which maybe some of you guys have been involved in. But that's also not what I'm going to be speaking about today. Halloween is this kind of holiday festival. That we, we call it that. It's a holiday festival every year. 31st of October, that so many people have such mixed emotions with. You know, some people go down the road of, I'm talking more in church, I guess. Some people go down the road of, ah, oh, you know, it's just a bit of fun. Let them dress up like an axe murderer and stuff like that. And some people go down that road. Some people go completely the opposite, okay, and see kind of evil around every single corner and say, like, no, 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 and try and combat that, or they try and maybe just kind of ignore it, you know? Like, we're going through, oh, no, it's nearly the 31st of October. Fortunately, the Sunday was before that, like it is this time, and then when we come back next week, it will have all passed, so we can just ignore the thing and then just carry on, you know? Ha-ha, <sighs> takes a sigh of relief. What I want to do is dig down into, first, this origin and history of Halloween, I mean, it's not going to be a deep study in it. And then second, look at Halloween from a biblical perspective and how understanding Halloween could actually transform our life today. What is it about Halloween that could actually speak to us and challenge us? And this actually is very much a sermon focused on Halloween. It's not something where I'm just kind of like gonna go down a side road of like something that's scary and what scares us you know and get take a bit out of Halloween we're going right into Halloween itself so let's look at the origin and history of Halloween you know in the same way that the real meaning behind Christmas God coming to earth the incarnate God incarnate that God becoming man the son born to us all of that has literally nothing to do with elves in the north of Finland making <laughs> gifts for people who then give it to this guy who's slightly overweight in a big red coat who then delivers it to every single person on earth in a sleigh by these reindeer that conveniently can fly. You know, in the same way that Christmas has nothing to do with that, albeit we remember like the spiritual significance of Christmas, in the same way Halloween has nothing to do with vampires and werewolves 
and axe murderers and like super evil, supernatural stuff that kind of gets associated with it. It's just in amongst all that side of things, we've kind of forgotten some of the rich spiritual roots of Halloween. You know, what we know as Halloween, what you'll see around you, what you could get if you probably Google it, what you'd get if you just go out onto the street and say, Halloween, what's the first thing that comes to mind, is a very modern picture of Halloween. It's a very modern picture of this traditional holiday that's got kind of a bit messed up over the years, lots of things added into it, bits coming in, various traditions. Halloween, in essence, actually, I don't know if you know this, I mean, it seems pretty pagan, doesn't it? But it's not actually a pagan holiday. There, there was, and some people who know about this maybe would comment on it, that there was a pagan festival called Samhain. Some pagans around the world still celebrate it. It's a lunar festival. It's not necessarily on the 31st. And within that festival, there was this kind of belief in a nearness of worlds, this thing of the fairy world that they had these concepts of what the fairies or the pixies would come over to this world. And so you may have folks say, well, actually, no, Halloween is just this like cover up by the church to try and in pagan countries like Britain to try and cover up their supernatural practices and all their festivals, which weren't to do with God. And in some respects, there's a truth in that, that, there's, that it was put on that day because there was this focus on the supernatural. But actually, you know, Halloween at its core is put at that time because it reminds people. It was, imagine all those pagans. It's reminding them of actually a greater supernatural dimension, a greater supernatural story. I think that's something amazing to think about, that it's Halloween was actually started by the church, and Halloween was put in place for you know, these pagans that are doing all the supernatural stuff, and it's like, hang on, we're going to have this festival, and this thing is actually pointing to something far greater, far more supernatural than you can think of. So think on that. A holiday started by the church intending to draw people in part into the supernatural, and yet it kind of over the years, kind of got lost a bit, right? And then we ended up with people threatening them, oh, not to give them chocolate. <laughs> so what was this Halloween festival that the church started? And I'm going to pause there just to say, if you know much about Halloween and church history, you'll know also that there's a whole bunch of random stuff the church has done over the years, which is kind of pretty crazy and kooky. There's a lot of extra biblical doctrines and stuff that have got lumped in with it. So. I'm not saying church have ever done Halloween perfectly, and that's not the stuff I want to highlight. What I want to do is strip it right back and propose something, what I believe is very, that you can see from the Bible, but also beautiful about what Halloween can be. So Halloween, I don't know if you guys know this, but it's actually an eve. It's the beginning of a festival. There's this three-part festival, Halloween being part of it, and then there's two other parts of a festival. So it's actually a three-day festival. Some of you guys may have known about this. Names of these, this festival is called All Hallowtide, or I only found this out was researching it, but Hallow Mass. That's cool. Hey? Christmas, Hallow Mass. Christmas Eve, Hallow Eve, which becomes Halloween. So actually, that's why Halloween is called Halloween. That's a key question. Why is Halloween called Halloween? Well, the Eve part is this Eve. It's the Eve of this tridendum or this three-part festival. And then we've got this word in front, hallow. 
right? Hallow, what's it from? It's from holy, right? It's from this word holy. What's holy mean? Things like to be set apart. Remember, it's in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Halloween be your name. No, hallowed be your name. So Halloween, this word hallow, it's named after those set apart, the holy ones, those who stand holy and blameless before the Father. I mean, if you think about that, how messed up is that? When you think about kind of what culture would see Halloween as, you know, like I said, you Google it, you're not going to find pictures of saints, are you? You're not going to find pictures of the body of Christ. And yet at its heart, even in the word itself, it's to do with the saints. It's speaking about you and me. It's speaking about the body of Christ. And some of you guys may know then, it makes sense, that 1st of November it's called All Saints Day. If you come from more of a traditional background, November 1st is All Saints Day, November 2nd is All Souls Day. And so, as I say, there's a whole bunch of religious bump that have got put in that over the years, so don't kind of dwell on that too much. You know, there's some strange things coming from certain traditions, right? Like praying for the dead in purgatory. Well, we don't believe in purgatory, so we don't do those kind of things. And actually, predominantly, if you're from like a Anglican background, you're going to know about just this festival. But actually, for many of us, it's not something that we've ever really celebrated because a lot of our kind of style of churches, they've developed in a way where they really, maybe 500 years ago, turned their backs, or 400 years ago, turned their backs on a lot of these festivals because of certain aspects that had been part of the culture, like praying for the dead. But often, when we look back, we can find this richness there when we pause and we look. So let's just look at its core. What is this hallow mass time, this all hallows time actually supposed to be about? Well, it is this deeply spiritual moment. It's this deeply spiritual moment in the church calendar where the church, the body of Christ, can pause can remember and celebrate on earth the eternality, the eternal nature and hope of our existence in Christ. There's a lot of traditional things that we don't really do, like church calendars and stuff like that, but the beauty of some of the ancient things that you can look back to is they really focus on certain things through the year and put time aside to dwell on certain things. So there is a richness there when we look back to them. It's a time when church can actually say to culture, you want a real supernatural experience? You want to get a glimpse of the natural and the supernatural side by side? Well, come and look at the church. It's a time to remember that. When I first started looking at this, this topic, um, this thing of the real Halloween, I thought, man, something beautiful in it, something marvelous within it that as much as it's got messed up and kind of weird in different traditions over the years, that there was this time in church history with this evening, this eve, Halloween, and two days of the year to remind ourselves of the eternal. How much more do the things of life, that, you know, that everyday stuff, the stuff that just is so challenging, how much more are they put into perspective when we hold them up to the eternal. 
So this kind of Christian Halloween season is one of true supernatural and authentic spiritual consideration where we slow down and we celebrate and we remember. I challenge you guys in this. It isn't a season to focus on evil. Okay? It's not a season to focus on evil. It's not a season to do something super countercultural and just like bury the head in the sand, like let's do the Harvest Festival and let's do that and we're just going like, to ignore the stuff as it goes through. And many people have done that. And it's like, I'm not criticizing it. It's just I think there's something richer and more beautiful that we can find. It isn't even holding special like prayer meetings to like stand against darkness. Because in a sense, that just focuses on, on the darkness. You know, we should focus on the light, not the darkness. It, it was never a season to focus on, like, demons and stuff like that. It was a season to remind ourselves and meditate on and celebrate the truly supernatural thing that we have all experienced. That in Christ, we have been made holy. That we've become part of this eternal people, this eternal kingdom and so you know if anyone's looking for excitement in that kind of supernatural thing so many people they look for spiritual supernatural stuff and yet so often they forget about the church like authentic spirituality an authentic supernatural dwelling probably if people spoke to you and said what's your perspective on life they would just be completely blown away because they feel that sometimes church is just these rules you got to follow and then you die, not thinking, actually, I believe I'm part of an eternal people that are walking on earth, bringing God's kingdom to this earth, and that I can't die. You know, that would probably be like, oh, right, I didn't realize you thought that. But it's so good to remind ourselves. So this all hallowtide season, hallow mass season, it's a moment when we can take time to remind ourselves of that. So I just want to look at these three days or these three parts what are they? What's the deal with them? Why do we have three of them? Well, the first part, Halloween, right? The evening of the 31st of October. It's actually supposed to be a kind of vigil. It's this time of prayer, of fasting, of contemplation and preparation before November 1st, which is All Saints Day. It is this kind of vigil where we begin to think about where we worship and where we pray through the coming two days. It's this kind of moment in the year where we can stop and through meditation, through prayer, through worship, dwell on our eternal state. And every single thing that begins to mean to us, what does that mean for how we live our lives? And so suddenly we see this picture of Halloween changing to not going around and asking for sweets from people, but actually becoming a deeply supernatural moment where we come together and worship God in prayer and through singing and experience him there among us where we remind ourselves of the eternal state of us. And then the next day is this day, All Saints Day. And it is a day, literally, for all saints. Now, traditionally, one of the main reasons why kicking this off is because do you remember the Catholic Church, okay, which is at technically our background, especially if you come from the Western church, they celebrated and remembered different saints and they began to run out of days because there were so many saints. So like, ah, we need a, a day for all saints. And so that's how it's been put into here. But part of it 
part of the heart of that, and I think a very relevant way of speaking about it, but a relevant way of understanding about All Saints Day is it is a day to remember, not some special guys, a few kind of key guys, but a day to remember and celebrate all saints. That's every one of you, right? It's the eternal body of Christ. Think on that. Every believer who's ever lived and is now in Christ in glory. That's including like the guys who've written books and done some notable stuff and those who haven't. Every believer also, though, who's living today on planet Earth. And think on this. Every believer who is yet to be born. Every believer who is yet to live. I think that's a beautiful picture to celebrate for a moment, for a day, to step outside of time and look eternally and dwell on this eternal body of Christ. It's a time when we can remember what's happened in the past, but then for us in that moment, in that day, challenge ourselves. You know, how are we living today? How are we, are we living in an eternal context or are we living focused on the moment? It's a time when we can remember what has happened before. It's a time when we can challenge ourselves in today. Is the, are we preaching the kingdom? You know, it's urgent, but it's also a time that we can think about and pray about and make decisions about the world that we're leaving for tomorrow. It's a time when, as a church, we can take time out to dwell on how are we blessing and preparing and building up the next generation, the next generation of believers. It's this thing of looking back, this thing of looking to today, living in today and looking forward, I think there's something amazingly beautiful about it. There's something incredibly timeless about it. My um, great, great uncles, I think it was, I think it was the great uncles of my grandmother, if you can work that out. I, there were two of them and they were both Methodist missionaries to the States. It gives me goosebumps because I think, you know, these guys who I've never met and yet there is this part of the body who's connected to me in some way, who made an impact. And there is this beautiful thing to remember from the past. I mean, also like Mama's family, it, back in the past, met generations of people who are pastors, guys who will never meet. And yet they're there. They've laid a foundation and a groundwork for us. And it challenges us to look for the future. Is it the eternality of the body of Christ is a beautiful thing to consider. It's a beautiful thing to kind of dwell on and think about. It's a beautiful thing to celebrate. Andrew Owen says, you only get one life, so make it a life worth living. And when you look at that, actually, I find it really helps. So that's All Saints Day, all the saints. And then we come to the 2nd of November, all souls day. And I'm not, by the way, suggesting, okay, guys, we need to start celebrating this stuff in a certain way. I just want to highlight these things to think about because sometimes All Souls Day gets wrapped up into All Saints Day. That's some, if you come from an Anglican background, sometimes that, that kind of happens where the days kind of get lumped together as kind of the same kind of thing. And the reason they do that is because often on All Souls Day, it was praying for relatives who died. But there is a beautiful truth within All Souls Day that's very different from All Saints Day. And it's this. It's, it's a special day for us to stop and celebrate the hope of life that we have in Christ. 
I don't know if you guys have ever been to a funeral before. If you've been to a funeral, you'll know what I mean when I say the coffin's there. And it just suddenly, in that moment, feels so real. You know, sometimes death can be that thing that we put to the side and it's like far from the future, but it's right there and it's real and it's final and cold. And it's a time when so many people evaluate what's going on. It's a heavy thing, right? Life is precious. We're not here forever. And I think in some senses that All Souls Day, the cart behind it, can function kind of like that moment in the year when we slow down and remember those kind of moments. Remember those who have died in him and let the reality, let that reality of the eternity and the hope of eternity that we have in him become more and more real to us. Do you remember last week, guys, I shared about Jess and I and how we'd We've lost, over the years, we've lost two baby boys, William and Bartholomew. But I also shared how we have this incredible hope in eternity that one day, a thousand years from now, we will look back and this moment of separation will seem like a distant memory. At my grandmother's funeral, they read this poem that my uncle had found in like a little precious box or lock box, or whatever, things she'd kept. And um, I don't think I realized or knew, but my grandmother had lost a baby before my dad. And um, she'd written this poem, and I, I couldn't get hold of it. I was trying to find it to share with you guys. But it was just beautiful, and it's this poem about the sadness of losing her son, but then also the, like, the joy at one day that she would speak with him and be with him in heaven. And obviously, you know, sat there, coffins right there, such this poignant moment kind of for everyone sat there. And I don't think I really appreciated it until I was preparing this sermon, actually. But you know, in that moment that whilst we're there in tears, because obviously it's sad, right? At the same time, there was a joy that this woman of faith was with Christ, but also speaking for the first time and having the first conversations with this baby boy, the son, who she'd never known. And I think that's something about All Souls Day, a story that encapsulates it, that's so good to remember and remind us year in and year out of the hope that we have in him. Now, often the church doesn't deal well with death. Sometimes it's kind of like does a service and doesn't remind us of that great amazing hope, especially when it comes to miscarriage and things like that. But actually, in the sadness of death, how beautiful it really is, the hope that we have. And so I hope you guys are kind of get my heart about where we're going with this. You see, where All Saints Day looks at the big picture, that eternal picture of the church, past, present, and future. All Souls Day is that closer to home, I described it as cosy in my notes, cosy moment, but maybe it's not so cosy, it's more nostalgic in a sense, but this personal moment to remember those guys that we have loved and remind ourselves of that great eternal hope that we've had or that we have in Christ. And that, if you think about it and you think about the root of it, that's worth celebrating. 
I think that's something that's worth remembering. It's worth having a feast over to celebrate that and say, wow, this is awesome. We have feasts over much smaller things than that. That is just epic. It's this mind-blowing supernatural claim of Christianity, isn't it? Eternal life. That in Christ, we have life and life everlasting. We will live our lives completely differently. Guarantee you completely differently if we live in the context of the eternal. And so what we're going to do now, that's all the kind of history bits, the origin bits, the heart behind these days. What we'll do now is going to turn to the Bible. And what I want to do is highlight some of the Bible's claims that actually these things are serious. These things are worth remembering, that these things are worth celebrating. Okay, first off, we're going to start in Thessalonians. It says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. Wow, massive. Who have no hope. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. You know, Paul, for the church at that time, who coming out of paganism and all kinds of things, Judaism, right, where it's legal, it's law, that Paul reframes the whole concept of death to the Thessalonians. He completely reframes it. Remember what I shared about death last week? I shared, sure, it's sad. It's right to mourn. It's right to mourn. It would be strange not to, right? But let's never forget the hope that we have. Let's not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And it's appropriate when someone goes away on a long journey and you're like, you know, I'm not going to see you maybe ever again. I'm not going to see you for decades. You cry, right? You cry there on the station platform. That's appropriate. There's a grieving in that. There's a grieving sometimes at the pain that somebody's suffered. And there's a grieving over that death has actually impacted to this body, this creation of God. But it is not a grief without a hope. Because whilst there's a sadness there, there's also amazing hope and amazing joy that one day we will see them again. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says this, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. You know, in this section, what's Paul speaking about? He's not speaking about some property deal that you get to have when you get to heaven and then you get like this house in heaven, okay? Some supernatural eternal um, building project. He's also not writing to his clients that he made tents for and said, don't worry, you know, your tent's gonna fail, but then you can have this house in heaven. There's nothing to do with that. What's he speaking about? He's speaking about the death of our bodies, these ones, the ones we have here, that we should honor and look after and care for. But he's saying, look, this is a tent, and actually the heavenly body, the picture he gives of our heavenly body in heaven is a building, something with longevity compared to a tent. I don't know if you guys know this, but many faiths, many religions have no concept of a, 
eternal body. It's like some spiritual thing that you float around and you're kind of in the spirit suit for a while and different things like that. But this concept of actually having a body is very unique. Paul touches on a similar topic in, to the Philippians. He says, but our commonwealth, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body, our, these bodies we have here, to be like his glorious body by the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. It's Paul writing about one condition that one church is kind of a bit freaked out over and he just writes to them. It doesn't. We've seen Thessalonians, Corinthians, Philippians. You know, that's all the guys we've been reading about in Acts, right? That's guys from Macedonia, guys from Achaeus. He's covering this whole sway. It's not just some isolated thing. It's an important subject to have a healthy, right understanding of death and the eternal is important. Paul writes about it, not just to one church, but as an issue to all the churches. You know, when you read the Bible and people say it's boring or something like that, I find it hard to realise, you know, how can people find this boring? If you listen to this chapter, this bit that Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 56, it sounds like a line out of a movie, okay? It says this, it says, when the imperishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And I love that. It gives me tingles, gives me goosebumps. When the mortal puts on immortality. The Bible doesn't just say stuff for a laugh. It's being real. That when the mortal, us, puts on immortality. It's awesome. It's awe-inspiring. See, nothing on earth offers the hope-filled, joy-filled, supernatural and eternal, full-of-life reality that Christianity offers to the world. And so this kind of Halloween, this All Hallows' Eve, this Hallowmas, think about that. Meditate on that. Celebrate that. That... Halloween isn't something supernatural and terrifying. It's about something that's supernatural and wonderful. It's about the ultimate supernatural story. You know, mankind reconciled to God, not because of us, not because of our efforts and our energies and our holiness to become hallowed, but because of him. It is about the ultimate supernatural story, isn't it? where darkness has been totally defeated. The most scary thing ever, really, death, has been defeated. And we can live in the victory of that. The saints, the hallowed ones. Why? Completely because of Christ. And going through that, you may be sitting here thinking, and some may say you're listening or think this, James, okay, I get that, but we do die, okay? The witches say, do we? You know, do we really? 100% our bodies stop working. We leave the earth, you know, not good for conversation anymore. Do you know that after a person is actually declared dead, their body continues to function slightly where nails continue to grow, hair continues to grow. So actually the, just the biological functioning of our bodies isn't, the kind of be-all 
an end all of our, of our life. Let's read a, a little verse that, that Jesus says about dying. And he does it in his great way where you'll be super clear by the end of it. And he says this, John 11, 25 to 26, he says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die. Okay, so yes, that, that's good. We cleared that up, Jesus, thank you. So we do, we die. Yet shall he live. A bit more tricky. So we die, but we are alive. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So if we believe in him, we die, but are actually, we're alive. And actually, if we believe in him, we never die. Very obvious, very clear, right? Have you guys all got that? Good. <laughs> and then it ends, do, do you believe this? You know, that, there's that beautiful thing of your last breath on earth will be your first breath in eternity. That if you are in Christ today, and I look around and know you guys are, that you're already living in eternal life. The only thing that needs to happen is you need to get an upgrade on your body. You know? 1 John 5, 13 to 14 says this. There's a John writing now, okay? And he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, guys, think on that. John's just written a bunch of stuff, and then he ends it by saying this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in Jesus so that you may know that you have eternal life. John is writing everything down so that these guys would know that they have eternal life and can live from a context of living with this knowledge that they have eternal life. It's so important. And it then carries on. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. John there is reframing the whole picture for these guys. You've got to get an eternal picture. So eternal life and the big picture view of eternity is central to Christianity and it's central to Christian living. Maybe today you're afraid of death. Pray about that at the end. Halloween as weird as it sounds in our kind of cultural understanding of Halloween, is a moment in the year when we can pause in the busyness of life and remember the deep, beautiful, eternal reality of our existence and this hope of eternal life we have in Christ. If you remember those guys in Hebrews 11, now they didn't celebrate Halloween, right? But their hope was on another country. I mentioned those guys last week. Their hope was on another country, a different land, that that was their home they were longing for. They had this eternal perspective. And long after Moses and Elijah, heroes of faith, long after they're dead, long after their bodies, okay, their tents are, are gone, we see them again, don't we? A story on the Mount of Transfiguration. Three disciples there. And um, suddenly, you know, there is uh, Elisha and Moses. Incredible. You know? Right there, they died, but they were alive. It's kind of like, and I hope you'll bear with me today. Some of you guys will appreciate it. Others of you won't. It's like a real life Star Wars moment. 
if you guys have seen Star Wars, you'll know that when the Jedi get killed, it's kind of great through the series, they kind of die in different places. And then at the end, tends to be at the end of certain episodes, suddenly they're all kind of there as these kind of like almost ethereal beings. Even Darth Vader, who kind of turns good at the end, he, he repents, he, doesn't, he turns good at the end. But he is seen not wearing his mask, but as he should have looked, not with any wounds or anything like that. It's this picture that if you've seen the films, I think you'll, you'll know what I mean by it. It just kind of feels so right. It's like, feels good. It's like, yeah, why? Not because it's like, hey, that's cool. So there's a lot of things in films that feel, look cool, but don't resonate with our hearts. You know, I believe it's because to some extent, it's real. Not the force, not people just appearing to people, but this thing of eternal life is real. That there is this beautiful eternal truth that we kind of get a glimpse of on the Mount of Transfiguration where we see life and life eternal. What does it say? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the life. And it's coming to end. I want to point out something to you guys which is so apt for a sermon on Halloween but also so beautiful in the context of the gospel and actually being able to share it in church. But there's the, we come forward right through to the crucifixion and to the resurrection this time. There is a particularly bizarre verse that tells us about the supernatural power of life in Christ, that death has been defeated. Matthew 27, 51 to 53, it says this, Then behold... The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. This stuff actually happened, okay? This isn't like an allegorical passage. This isn't like a spiritual kind of weird passage. This is a recounting of stuff that has happened. We know the curtain itself split. We speak about that a number of times. God coming out to humanity. And kind of within these different pictures, we see, okay, the splitting of the temple curtain. God is now not in the temple, but is released to be in the heart of every single believer. But this verse carries on, and it says this, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints, the hallowed ones, the believers, who had fallen asleep, so they'd been asleep, were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. That is so weird, if you think about it. That's language, as I say, it's not imagery. It's not like ghosts floating around the city. It's real stuff happening. Earthquakes, ripped curtains, tombs bursting open, the dead coming back to life and walking into Jerusalem. You know, it's like the, it's almost like a scene from a zombie movie, isn't it? But it's not brokenness and decay and death that's reigning. It is life and wholeness. This picture of, this reminder that Christ is the life. Many people who are dead, people probably, people in the city would have known. We see stories today about people who are dead and they come back to life and they have stories of what happened to them 
in heaven. You know, people walking back in the city and being like, hey, you died. That's so strange. So many people are alive again and are seen by many in the city. You know, what a way for the early church to start out with this eternal perspective, this perspective that in Christ is life and life everlasting. And that's the call of Halloween, of Hallowmas, that we as the church would remember this eternality of our condition, that we are part of an eternal body, past, present, and future, that those who have died in Christ are alive, that we'll see them again, that we will dwell in eternity with them, that we are called to tell the world as well, this great hope is awesome, it's exciting, that we would remember the eternal hope that we have in him. And that would also impact our lives today, that we would live in that eternal context. And so Halloween, as weird as it may sound, is this opportunity for a spiritually hungry world seeking something supernatural, seeking something bigger than themselves to come face to face with the most outstanding supernatural story that they can step into freely that day. His story. Because, right, he paid the price. You don't even need to buy an admission ticket to you know, a face painting session. You know? He paid the price, his story. And we're all invited to make it our story. And I just want to challenge you guys today that I'm not today trying to suggest a whole new tradition or say anything that you guys are doing. If you, I doubt it if anyone's doing this, because I've never done this before, right? It's wrong. Okay, But maybe some of you guys, it's touched you, and you're going to take time out this year to actually focus on that this Halloween. Maybe for some of you guys in families, you want to instigate some different family tradition or in your groups, engage in that in some ways. You know, my, my heart is that at Halloween, at this time of year, that we would take time to remind ourselves, remind each other, of this supernatural, eternal story that we're all part of and the hope that we have in life and in death. So this Halloween, I encourage you guys, dwell on that. If you fear death today, I just close your eyes, bow your eyes and close your heads. Close your eyes and bow your heads. Just as says praying, if you fear death, just meditate on some of the things that I've said. You know, Christ has done everything. He has defeated death. And I, I just want to actually, I just want to pray for you just now. So I want to say, like, guys, if you're, if you're here today and you really mourn someone, there's a difference between mourning someone because you really miss them, right? Makes sense. Paul doesn't say, don't grieve. He just says, don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So, but if you mourn someone today and you know it's just like this, this broken mourning, this hopeless mourning, I just encourage you today, be encouraged. Oh, the day's gonna come where that separation seemed like a distant memory. And I wanna encourage all you guys who've lost people in the Lord that you just 
hold on to that, that that would actually be a kind of amongst the sadness, amongst the challenges, when you celebrate maybe the, the anniversary of their, their passing, that you would stand with immeasurable hope and, and joy knowing, knowing that truth, that you will see him again. You know that you are so consumed with your today that you never give any thought to the eternal the eternal kingdom that you're part of, that body, past, present, and future that you're part of. Just take a moment now, just in quiet, just to dwell on that. Let him speak to you about that. Let him work in your heart about that. Realign your context to live eternally because you make choices and decisions differently. Remember that quote, when we live our lives, we're sorry, we will live our lives differently if we live in the context of the eternal. Have that hope that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's done every single thing for you, for those you love. And we can all today count ourselves as his hallowed ones, his eternal people. So guys, I just want to pray and you guys take some time as well. If you want prayer, just put your hands out flat in front of you too. And Father, I just pray today that this, um, this truth of our, our hope in you, that we are part of an eternal people, God. Lord, let that impact our hearts. Let that impact how we live our lives. Lord, I pray that surrounding that challenging topic of death, God, that there would be a hope like no other that we would all live in. Lord, and I pray however we do it, whether we do stuff in family or however, that we would take a time, God, just to remind ourselves of eternity and the great hope we have in you. In your mighty name. Amen.